Hi, and welcome to Divorce Hacker. I'm your host, Dan Grant. On this show, we'll have a variety of guests who've been through divorce and are experts on the topic. Whether you're thinking about a divorce, in the midst of it, or already divorced, we are here to share our stories with you in the hope that you may relate, learn, process, and overcome whatever you're experiencing in your life. We are so excited to have Courtney Glickman on this episode of The Divorce Hacker. Courtney is a divorce lawyer and a mom. She is also a super lawyer, and one of her specialties is prenups, which we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Courtney. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So first of all, how did you end up becoming a family law attorney? Well, my whole life, I was really interested in the law. I felt like it was kind of like a puzzle. You had to put pieces together with certain facts and it was always different. The puzzle was always going to be different no matter what type of law I went into. And so something about that process like always really interests me. My family happens to be in the estate planning world, um, large firms and partners all over the country. And so naturally I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll become a lawyer. Uh, I graduated college and decided, nope probably not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to do something fun with my life. So I went into marketing. That was part of my mom's advice to me. And she was always like, yeah, lawyers, boring. So I went into the marketing world and I did work in merchandise marketing for a little while. And while I was there, I just like felt very unfulfilled. And so unbeknownst to my family, I took the LSAT and I eventually got into law school. And then one day I was like, I'm going to law school. I need something more in my life. And I did. I did my years there. I learned about all different types of law, like every attorney does. And then I went into estate planning, which is what my grandfather and my aunt had done for so many years. And when I did that, I actually worked at a family law firm in their estate planning department. So people would come in who their lives were either growing, they were having more kids, and it was time to create a will or a trust. Or on the flip side, they were getting divorced and they needed to alter things. And Um, I love doing that. You know, it was kind of a nice transition of different people and different scenarios. But I think ultimately I went through my own divorce while I was, you know, working there and transitioned over to the family law side and knew that that's where I was supposed to be and never looked back. That's wonderful. Yeah. So prenups. Um, More and more, especially young people are getting prenups, but I know that many people still think of it as a romance buster. So why would a young couple, say in their 30s, youngish, be interested in getting a prenup? What are the pros and cons? Okay, so it's true. It's not exactly, you know, holding hands on the beach, picnics in the sand type of romance when you're dealing with your prenuptial agreement. But, you know, for anything else in life, we have health insurance, we have disability insurance, life insurance, we freeze our eggs potentially. Um, we do things like wills and trusts, like we just discussed, in an effort to protect not only yourself, but your loved ones from situations that you don't want to happen. And this is just another one of those situations. You can't plan for everything. This is the best you can do. But I actually see it in the inverse. I think it's so romantic. And I'll tell you why. I think that it gives you freedom. But more than that, you're not stuck. Every single day when you wake up with that person next to you, you can choose them. 
every single day without the fear of, I don't know what my life's going to look like if I walk away, or I don't know, um, you know, I feel stuck here and I don't know if there's a way out. You always have that way out. So every day you can make that choice to love that person and want to be with them. And I think that makes your relationship very romantic. I love that. Yeah. That's kind of a really different spin on it. So along those same lines, if we look at the statistics, they're startling. Um, marriage was created over 100 years ago, but with the idea, well, actually it was created far before that mm-hmm. to meld wealth and family alliances. Yeah. And, and about 100 years ago, marriage was invoked for the purpose of memorializing a love relationship. And what we've seen over the decades is that over 50% of first marriages end in divorce. I think it's around 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And a whopping 79% of third marriages will end in divorce. And so, and, and then the people that stay together in the work that we do, we often will see um, couples that are afraid to divorce for a plethora of reasons, including often financial concerns. Yeah. California, as you know, if you've been married for over 10 years, then the person who is the breadwinner could end up paying lifetime support. Right. And so there are many people that stay married, but they're no longer in a loving relationship. Oftentimes they're more like roommates. And in our practice, of course, we often see people coming in where the effect of that can be devastating, particularly not just on the spouses, but on the children. Yeah. So marriage appears to be broken. Mm -hmm. What do you think about something like a lease agreement? Uh, I I actually thought I had come up with this idea, but I was researching it Mm -hmm. and it's out there already. This notion of um, a wed lease renewing your marriage yes and so the notion would be that and it hasn't really caught on yet but it got me thinking and i wanted knowing you would be our guest i wanted to chat with you about this because you and i've been both married a couple of times yes we have um and so we'll talk about this more later but of course i think we would think a lot about getting married a third time Mm -hmm. understanding the statistics and the angst and strom involved in going through a divorce. So what if you had a situation where, since we, most of us as humans, we want a loving relationship. I think most of us enjoy partnership and having that special person. For sure. So what if you had a situation where you entered into something that's more like, and, you know, in line with your estate planning background, Mm -hmm. um, it's more like you enter into a contractual agreement, which is a lot like a prenup. Right. And it seems like that seven-year itch is a real thing. But you could choose. You know, you can do it for a year, five years, seven years, ten years. You pick. And and then you entered into a, a relationship, a contractual agreement, much like a prenup. So there were no surprises. Everyone understood going into it. Um, if there was separate property from prior to the relationship beginning, that if it didn't work out, you would leave with that. Right. You would also have an agreement with regard to if you wanted to buy a home together or a, a boat together or whatever, like how those assets would be handled if it didn't work out. 
And if you, you know, I think for those of us who are mothers, I, I found almost universal agreement that it's much easier to raise children with the help of your partner. So that would be baked into the agreement too, that if you had children, you know, maybe the agreement would last until they reach the age of majority or, or whatever you decide in right. home. And then in that situation, you would have an opportunity after your lease was up, just like if you were renting an apartment, you're laughing, leasing a car. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Like, do I want to buy out my lease? Right. Or, or re-up it for another year and go month to month or year to year. Like, wouldn't that make more sense? I'd like to think that, you know, relationships don't have a shelf life. Right. But Mike's personal experience and given the line of work I'm in, the evidence suggests otherwise. Right. So with your background and your personal experience, what are you, you're kind of a laughing book now. I, I think, is this like a good idea? Like, I think it's just... amazing. I love the idea that you have to like choose to renew. Right. So you're never feeling stuck. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you're, it's kind of a great concept. You don't even need to set an expiration date. You could right. just say every year we're going to choose to renew or we're not. Yes. It doesn't have to even last that long. Yeah. And, and wouldn't it also incentivize you to show up like to, Look your best, be yeah. your best, stay in shape. Yeah, because you want the other person to want to renew, right? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a genius. So, I think it's great because it kind of keeps that, like, that suspenseful type of, do they still want me? Do they love me? Do I love them? Do I still want them type of feeling going on? I think that's what keeps relationships rolling sometimes. Yeah, I was reading something recently, and I can't remember who to attribute this to, but the idea, I think it was Esther Perel, who I love, and she said that this is the perfect equation, that obstacles plus attraction equal desire. Mm -hmm. And in some of her books that she's written, she talks about, um, there's one called, um, I can't remember the name of it, but she very much talks about what happens with married couples is the familiarity c kills desire. And so in like long-term marriages even, she counsels couples to keep enough distance between them that they don't become too familiar. Interesting. But this would be almost taking that to the next level. And what I really hate to see is the situation where, you know, we've been indoctrinated with the idea that children of divorce are damaged because, um, you know, that's a very damaging um, cause, but right. what what I think really, if you dig deeper, I was I was doing some research on this. So in Sweden, for example, there's no stigma attached to divorce apparently, and when you talk to children of divorce and ask them how they're doing and if they were adversely impacted by the divorce, they just laugh. Right. So what really happens, what the research shows, is that children are damaged by parents that are either fighting, of course, we right. all know that already. But the other thing that's equally as damaging that's come out in the research is where there's contemptuous coldness. And so a lot of people will stay married, as we know, right. in separate floors of their home, mm -hmm. not talk to each other and think, well, you know, this is the best thing for the children. Yeah. But actually, the research shows that those children are as damaged as the children where the parents are fighting all the time. Yeah. So if we have this escape valve where, you know, it's like, hey, this just isn't working out. But, I mean, it's going to put us out of business. No, it definitely is. And, and it like keeps they, it alive. It keeps the relationship alive. People are going to stay together. Well, 
<laughs> they're not going to need divorce lawyers. No, they're not. Because you know, they already will have figured all this out in advance. Yeah, exactly. So when it's not working, they can step away and still be great parents right. without all the emotional angst that often we see happening yeah. when a divorce happens and it hasn't been planned for in advance. Yeah. And the kids get torn up. The kids are acting out. Agreed. And I love this idea. I think I'm going to be the test monkey. Can I be the first one to start this? Test monkey. I would love to. So, I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to make it enforceable. I, and first, we're going to have to lobby Congress and change the family code. Yes, I think so as well. Be- or, you know, it's a it's a contractual provision. Maybe you just do it in civil court. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but I think this is great. And I'm, I I want to be the first one to try it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to do this. Okay, I'm so. I feel like it'll keep the keeps the mystery alive, and I think that's what you're saying about Esther Perel is that that's what you need to really endure in a relationship sometimes, for sure. Otherwise, you're just business partners, and then you know people still have their needs, and that Mm -hmm. creates all kinds of problems. Yeah. So I think we really need to be realistic about. We don't have a divorce problem. We have a marriage problem. I agree. Marriage is the only place where we sign a contract for life. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, like as an intelligent human being, it just really doesn't make sense. No. And I think we sort of like, the the institution has not caught up to the reality of what our lives are like. I totally agree. I mean, I think as well, you know, my best piece of marriage advice, which obviously didn't work in either of my marriages, but I thought was the best piece, was someone told me never take, you know, your husband for granted on a daily basis. And I think we do do that with our loved ones. Even my kids, I feel like they take me for granted every day and I take my mom for granted. It's just like kind of a cycle. But the people we love most and we're the most comfortable with, we tend to sometimes treat the worst. Yes. And I think that's really the underlying cause as well is that we get so comfortable that we're like, you're gonna be here later. So I can kind of say however I wanna say to you, whatever I wanna say, and I'll see you at dinner. Yeah, because it's a lifelong contract. Right. And and the the penalties for busting out of it are so severe right now. And you and I know this because we live in this world, family law. I mean, you know, the penalties now are, you know, if it's a long-term marriage. The breadwinner is going to be on the hook t- probably for the rest of their lives. Exactly. So, so they don't want to deal with that many times. Many, you know, 80% of divorces or 85% are filed by women. It, traditionally, men are the breadwinners. Like they don't want the divorce to be over, right? But you know they're going to often get their needs met in other mm-hmm. ways, and that just creates other issues in the marriage. A plethora of other issues and hurt, and yeah, so, you need an out. I think the out is a great one. The option of the out, at least, the option is, of the. Out. I think that gives so much power in a relationship that it keeps you in it almost. It would incentivize the non-working partner to not become overly reliant and codependent. Mm -hmm. Codependency is not healthy. Agreed. Divorce Hackers Survive to Thrive is brought to you by Manhattan Beach Family Law. We are your go-to divorce firm specializing in resolution of high net worth disillusions, high conflict divorces, and complex custody matters. As women operating a leading Southern California law firm, we stand out from the rest by bringing compassionate, concierge support to our clients. Through our comprehensive and personalized approach to family law, our purpose is to help you go from surviving to thriving. Thank you for listening and please enjoy the rest of the show. 
you know, often the most contentious uh, divorces we see are where, you know, there's a disparity in power right. because one person is generating most of the income. Right. So if we if we created this new um, this new way of going about this, you would go in with your eyes open. So many women now are educated and want to work. Mm-hmm. You would never become lackadaisical and overly codependent because you would understand that you're in this so long as it's like working right. enjoyable and if it's not and if it's you're not, not you're you're responsible for yourself yeah i think a lot of people give up their independence especially because you become kind of dependent as the couple as opposed to the individual and i think that would prevent that from happening which would make anyone who's ever transitioning out feel that much more empowered to know that they didn't give up anything they're not looking for themselves or that they're starting from scratch right you know i read something the other day that really resonated with me that i also wanted to run by you um, given it where you're at in your life cycle, you have, you have twins that are 11. Yes. And then you have a, so you have a boy and a girl that are twins. Yes. I have boy girl twins for my first marriage. And then a son who is, six. he is turning six next week, actually. That's right. Yes. Okay. On my second marriage. So you're in the thick of it as mm-hmm. a single mom. Yes, I am. Um, and so how are you, I mean, I also was in that position. I have now my children are pretty much launched mm-hmm. so I feel like actually I'm in the best I love that launch life. yes yeah the launching how is it I, I I have found and I have such deep regard and respect for single moms yeah. you seem to have cracked the code like you're you seem to be living your best life you just got back from a, an amazing trip from Playa del Carmen yeah you're an amazing colleague you're an amazing mom like how do you how do you operate as a single mom and as a co-parent? I think probably for all parents, balance is the hardest thing to come across in life because you want to give everything you have to your kids at some point. Um, but I think as a single mom, even more so because we're trying to hack and work and, you know, household and your personal life and potentially dating um, and self-care and all those other things as well. And there's only one of you right? I mean, I had twins. I used to always say, I only have two hands. There's only one of me. And that's kind of continued on throughout my life. And so I think, you know, being organized and pre-planning are like the most important things I found in my life because they make my days go significantly smoother. Um, So the putting that time in really is important, but also more than that, carving out time for me. And sometimes that might just mean a bubble bath. It could mean that I get a massage after all my kids are sleeping at night. I use hours that aren't maybe traditional hours to use, um, but I think they're so important and taking the time to go on vacation. You know, I think we always hear moms and dads say, I would die for my kids. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. But we never hear the opposite is, I would live for my kids. Mm. And I think there's like such a great disparity of you, like you're saying, people stay in marriages um, for their kids, but they're actually dying inside as they do that. And so it isn't really for their kids, which is why maybe Sweden has, you know, a different type of perspective on, you know, broken homes or damaged children of marriages. Ultimately, they're being led to show that you don't settle and something's not working. It's okay, and you're empowered to move forward and you can do anything you want to do and you can balance it all. And sometimes it's harder, I think, than other times to find that balance and different things take priorities in different months and years. But yeah, right now I'm really into, I love traveling and I think I'm a better mom when I take that time for myself. And so I've like kind of let go of the guilt of I'm not there. 
every single day, but it's okay because I've planned for this. I've done what I need to do to put them in the best position so I can go away, whether it's for two or three days or five hours. I love and that. And have that time. Yeah. That is such an important message Yeah, for, I think, moms, single moms, and dads to hear. Definitely. I think women in particular, mothers, um, there's something that happens. It's cultural, but it's also very instinctual. Right. And I think it's very hard to put ourselves first. So hard. And yet... It's so, so critically important that we that we take care of ourselves. So important. And just the little things. It could just be like, you know, watching a show at night by yourself in silence. Even when you're married, you kind of are like, oh, it's always an agreement. What are you ordering for dinner? Right. What are you making for dinner? What are we watching tonight? And you're always compromising. And so it's really important, I think, to take that time, married or not, you know, to carve out something that's just for you. Let me ask you uh, another follow-up question to that. So have you heard of this sort of, I think there's a movement called Living Alone Together, L.A. Yeah. Okay. So I was chatting with my brother the other night, and I have some other girlfriends, and um, we're all at that stage where, you know, our kids are launched, we're now single, and there's like this universal feeling, you know, we have our homes, we have our careers, we like to travel. I'm finding that there's like this universal sentiment amongst not all, but many of my very successful friends Mm -hmm. that are at this stage that I'm finding myself in, where again, they really want and are longing for a partner. Right. And they don't want to give up their independence, their own home. Yeah. And, And it's something that I've experienced too, where I really love having my own space Mm-hmm. I, I thought, so do I, you know, we come together, we work together, we're dealing with people who are going through divorce and experiencing what for them is probably one of the biggest um, transitions and crises sometimes right. in life. So it's intense. And so at the end of the day, there's nothing I enjoy more than what you just referred to, which is having some downtime by myself. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate not having somebody in my space that my experience of having a husband was, what do you want for dinner? Okay, now I'm going to prepare that. Not that I'd have to cook all the time, but but very much, you know, like always putting, and maybe it's just an attitude adjustment, like their needs first, because I think we're wired that way. Take care of others. We're cultured to be that way. So what do you think of this living alone together notion? Because I know you're accomplished. You have a beautiful home on the West side where you still can come together and go with your love partner to Playa del Carmen or wherever and have an exciting relationship. But, you know, you have young children. You want to raise... My experience yeah. when I I had my kids pretty much all the time, like I know you do, mm-hmm. um, and it was really gratifying to be able to be there and raise them the way that I wanted to yeah. without bringing in another person right. that they would have to compete with or... What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? I mean, I love the idea of being able to be in a relationship and have your person companionship when you want it, but also being able to maintain your independence. I think it's something really empowering about that. But I also think it gives you a nice balance. And it makes you also, again, want to be with that person when you're with them, as opposed to feeling like you have to, and then avoiding them and going to a different room. It kind of falls into, you know, your plan of the leasing of the marriage. <laughs> yeah, it's saying <laughs> kind of perfect <laughs> you can maintain your own scenario and you're choosing to be together when you have dinner when you come together for things if you want to lay in bed and watch netflix 
have a sleepover, those are choices. Right. And I think that's what kind of keeps the relationship flowing. Yeah. Is wanting it. I think we're on to something. Yes, I think so too. So I want to run this by you because I feel like this is such an interesting <laughs> topic that nobody's really talking about. No. But I think we need to like begin yeah. to have this discussion. Yeah. Because people are doing it. Okay. They're, they're experienced. Yeah, they definitely are. To be. So for example, a friend of mine who's a very successful doctor, mm-hmm. um, she met a guy. Her kids are also, you know, like off to college, kind of launched, call it. Okay. Okay. So she meets a guy. She falls in love. And, you know, she also had been divorced. Right. Did not want to do that again. Like those yeah. of us who've been through, you know, a high conflict divorce yeah, with that. I want to avoid it. Yeah. We, we will not make that mistake. <laughs> right. So one day she shows up and she's wearing an engagement ring. And I was really surprised. I was like, oh, my God, you're engaged. And she confer- she told me, confided in me that they were going to have a wedding. They were going to hold themselves out as a married couple because really her partner wanted that. Right. But they weren't going to formalize their relationship legally. Yeah. So I thought this was brilliant, the fake marriage. And I actually now know of someone else who has done this where they hold themselves out as a married couple for because that's important to them. Right. But... In the event that, you know, things don't work out, they can walk away. Once again, walk right. away. No, t- no. Without the state of California, for example, being involved. Yeah. And telling yeah. one of them that they have to pay the other one a lot of money or what have you. Yeah. So there's no risk. Yeah, there's no risk. I mean, I think that's genius. And again, I mean, funny enough, when I got married the second time, that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, let's have a ceremony. So my kids who are at the time, you know, two or three could kind of like visualize that we were getting married and becoming this family. But I didn't actually want to sign the... So you were the precursor to this. So I, and this is, I held out for a really long time on this. And then finally, because we had another kid, my husband was like, no, I really want us to be legally married. And so our wedding, we weren't actually legally married. We got legally married at a restaurant. Like a different. I lot. did not know this. Yeah, you. Yeah, and in retrospect, now I'm kind of you know regretting the signing of the legal document. Or that's a whole different story. <laughs> so, so this call it this this wet yeah. lease would totally alleviate that. It issue. doesn't change like your commitment to someone, right? And I actually think it makes it stronger because, as I said, you're picking it every day as opposed to right. being thrown and being stuck with it, right? Right. And so I think it actually makes it better and it makes your relationship that much stronger. It I don't... could be a new business model for yeah. us. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Just takes pre-planning. Well, and you're already an expert in that. Yeah. The prenups. And I've done, I mean, I do cohabitation agreements for couples who are just choosing to live together and potentially have kids and aren't planning on getting legally married even. Talk but, to us about that. What I'm actually not that familiar with. A I mean, so a cohabitation agreement, it's very similar to a prenup or even a postnuptial agreement, except that it's not, it's more of a contract. It's not pending on whether we're going to get married or not. Mm-hmm. So you can go through the same ideas of, if we acquire property together, this is how we're going to take it. And this is how if we buy a house together, this is what we're going to do with it. We're going to sell it or so-and-so is going to retain this and I'm going to take that asset. And so it gives you the same flexibility um, and it prevents one party coming and asking for something as if they were married down the line. And it gives you peace of mind that you can share and live this life together and have someone maybe come into your home. Especially, I see this happen a lot with when the men is like, you know, the man is really the breadwinner or they have a lot of family money. Maybe the girl is like a model and her career is kind of ending a little bit and they're going to have kids together. I see it happen then, mm-hmm. a lot of it. But I think it makes sense. And actually, none of those couples I've 
that I've done cohabitation agreements for or have separated that I'm aware of yet. That was going to be my next yeah. question was what is the what what's the success rate? Yeah, so far so good. I just saw a bunch of them actually on, you know, social media on vacation at some celebrating someone else's, I think it was birthday party. So it seems to be working for them. Oh, that's amazing. They're all there together. I love this. Yeah. So what co-parenting advice would you have? Uh-oh, I saw like yeah. a little bit of side eye, a little bit of an eye roll. What yeah. Cope, so first of all, just to set the stage, is we know mm-hmm. when um, we share custody with our former partner, our former spouse, right? then we co- try to co-parent Yeah. Um, because legal decisions are shared. Yeah. If we don't share custody and we have sole custody of our children, we can do whatever we want. Right. But that's very rare. As Which is now. very, very rare because more and more often courts are awarding joint custody right. to both parents. You are in the unusual situation in that you have both situations occurring at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. So talk to me, talk to us about the kind of the you know, compare and contrast those two situations. So it's funny, ironically, crazy, I can even say this, but the husband that I have full legal custody of my kids and where he doesn't, we get along significantly better. Because you don't have to discuss it. Because we don't. And because when I do discuss it with him, I'm genuinely coming to him to see his opinion, not because I have to. Ah. And when he wants to see the kids, I work with him because he wants to see them. They want to see him. Not because, again, I have to send them on a Friday. Oh. So we actually have a really nice relationship. He'll call me and talk to me about his girlfriend or things going on in his life. We are much more friends than my the other scenario with my husband where everything has to pass through both of us because there's a little more of angst mm-hmm. associated with what if he says no? What if he disagrees? Will he change this day with me? Um, I still have, we're still pretty fluid in compared to a lot of other, I think, co-parenting relationships. I think the best advice I would say is don't lose track of the big picture. Mm -hmm. The big picture is this is for your kids. It's not for you. You've already chosen not to be married to that person anymore or, you know, live in the same home with them um, and share your life. But your kids didn't get to choose that. And I also think what's better for them is kind of what's better for you because what's better is having some flexibility. Ultimately, you might have a family wedding and you want your kid to come and that person's not planning their family wedding around your custody schedule. Right. So what's best for them is that you can call your ex and be like, hey, they really want to go to their cousin's you know, wedding or bat mitzvah or whatever it might be. Can they go? And having that flexibility is not only better for you when you have something that comes up that's better for the kids. I love that. Gosh, I really wish, as you and I both know, um, the most contentious divorces and often some of the most expensive divorces that I have been involved in involve issues of child custody. Yeah. And at their core, they're power struggles. They are. Um, you know, fighting over whether the exchange is going to be on Sunday at 7 p.m. or 8. Yeah. Or, you know, niggly things mm-hmm. that really should not be the subject of incurring lots of attorneys. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. And so, um, yeah, and I think for people, once again, the way the current system is set up, they're, they're so, I, particularly I will see this where the husband's a breadwinner, mm-hmm. the mom is kind of more the stay-at-home person. Right. If she has a job, it's not generating significant um, revenue to right. marital estate. 
So there's a power imbalance in the way she can flex sometimes mm-hmm. is through asserting control over the custodial schedule. Yeah. And it's just maddening. It is. When I see this happening, I, I become very frustrated mm-hmm. and have to do a lot of deep yoga breathing to calm <laughs> myself because because it's just, you know, the kids are being used as pawns. Yeah. Um, it's nonsense. They're spending money that they could put in the kids' college money. Yes, on lawyers. Some better way. Right? Yes. I hope you're enjoying this conversation on what I meant to say. Produced by my company, Be Better Media. To see the world of why we are striving to share inspired edutainment, I invite you to please check out our website, BeBetterMedia.tv. Here you will find all kinds of great stuff from upcoming new productions to lifestyle products and services I personally use and endorse to links to great books and other podcasts I love and recommend. Please check us out at BeBetterMedia.tv. That's BeBetterMedia.tv. I had a client years ago. We were fighting over Memorial Day Monday. Who was going to get the weekend attached to Memorial Day? If it was going to be attached to the weekend, if it wasn't going to be attached to the weekend, if they wanted to travel. I'll just never forget. I mean, we spent hours and hours and hours negotiating and fighting over this day. Cut to two years later, they were begging each other to swap. Because <laughs> one of them was dating someone who wanted to go away, but it wasn't right. their Memorial Day. I'm like, this is why we don't, you can't predict everything. And it's crazy to set every single minute in stone and on schedule. It is because children change yeah. drastically. And you change and your life changes right. and your ex's life is going to change. And so you can't predict all of that. I had this experience in my uh, my divorce where we were really locked in and headed to trial on some custodial issues. And I will never forget, I was driving down the 405 freeway and we had spent years in court. And now we had a trial date and we had a custodial evaluation. We had witnesses. And it was as though a voice out of nowhere suggested to me to call my ex-husband, whom I hadn't spoken to on the phone or anywhere except inside a courtroom through lawyers for five years. And I said to him, let's let the kids decide. And by now they were older. When we divorced, I think they were seven and 11, but years had passed. And, And there was just radio silence. He was so stunned. Right. And and when we appeared in court to memorialize our agreement, even the judge was shocked because we had had so many court appearances battling over custodial issues. And he literally looked at me and said, are you sure? Because <laughs> I kind of had all the evidence lined up and right. what I wanted. And, and I said, yes. And then it was as though a miracle happened. Once I stepped back from the power struggle and disengaged, Everything fell into place. The issues that had been, and some of them were significant, mm-hmm. obstacles to um, co-parenting, immediately dissipated. Yeah. And he showed up in such a more um, fulsome way to the with the children. Yeah. I then also have more time to focus on myself. And as a result of that, um, I remember I had been so been spending so much time and mental energy on these every six weeks being in court in these battles that I didn't have the bandwidth really to grow my own practice, right? Let alone have like a social life. And all of a sudden, like my my practice grew. I began dating. Like my life changed materially. Yeah. Even my kids. My son kept having these 
um, like breathing issues where he had to go to the nurse's office every Monday morning after he'd been with his dad mm -hmm. for the weekend. And I think, you know, he then wanted to come home and be with me. Of course, right. But I think part of it was he was so sensitive, he sensed my angst around it. Right, and the energy. Looking back on it. Mm -hmm. I even kind of knew it at the time. Like we had him tested and tested and there were no breathing. Right. <laughs> all that went away. Yeah, it's amazing. It all, like all these, I was breaking out in hives all the time. I was so stressed out. Yeah. Because we were in this battle. Like it just, it evaporated. And so actually when I wrote my book, it was really, um, the the impetus for it was because of this amazing experience I had. You know, he and I are both litigators, or were at the time. Right. We, we'd been working at big corporate law firms for over a decade. So, you know, that was, that was how we were trained. Right. And so it was really a big deal for me to step back when I had all the evidence and ammunition I needed to win. Right. But I understood that there is no winning in divorce. There is There's no winning. no winning. And nobody yeah. wins. The, there's only losers and the losers are the kids. That's right. And so it was such a miraculous experience in terms of how the energy shift and the positive changes it made within our family that even within my practice and, you know, mm -hmm. I know this is true for you, we're always looking, we're very solution oriented. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just to, just to underscore what you said about, you know, trying to be flexible and not yeah, letting so it become a power game. Yeah. And like, look at the big picture. Right. You know, I think it's, I always tell people when I first talk to them, they're coming in as like a new client, like how you present your divorce, maybe how you serve the party, whatever stage they might be. It's like a wedding invitation. It's like, you kind of know, like what to expect, right? Is it going to be black tie? Is it going to be casual? Is it going to be this? It's, it's kind of setting the stage. So and if you oh. come in really aggressive, then that's where you're going to get back. That's right. Right. But if you come in saying, I want to be amicable and friendly, I want to serve you like via mail or email or whatever it might be. So you don't have a processor coming to your workplace. Uh, I think that sets like a better tone and it gets a better response back. You put out the energy that you want to receive. And hopefully, you know, it helps a little is the idea. But <laughs> I love that. That's really an important thing to remember yeah. throughout the whole proceed yes exactly and it's hard to get implement our new plan right yeah. marriage 2.0 or exactly marriage 2.0 the new way the wed lease no it makes sense to me <laughs> marriage lasts so much longer now our lives last so much longer now well that's what we're seeing so gray divorces the estimate is i can't remember the number but like while the divorce um rate is going down mm -hmm. in, amongst most generations What's happening for people 50 and older, gray divorces, is it's just exponentially increasing. And I think it's because, you know, at this point, it used to be like, you're ready to retire, you're getting ready to die. Right. You're not doing that anymore. Like, no, we have a whole life ahead. Some of our lives, right? Yeah. Still healthy, you know, with medical research and technology, we may live, you know, 20, 30. Yeah. Some people come out, there's like three stages of being married. There's the, you know, romance stage and where you're falling in love and you know we all know what that feels like and it's amazing right then you get married and have kids it's entirely different experience completely different you are now married to an entirely different person mm -hmm. and all the things that you were attracted to in the first phase yeah. are not helpful yeah <laughs> like the <laughs> only thing that you believe they're not somebody, helpful they're no longer it's no longer helpful you right. know how handsome he is yeah it doesn't matter or, you know, how dashing or charming or he is. Right. That doesn't matter. We nope. need somebody who can like, 
get up in the middle of yeah, a right. diaper. Yeah. We need somebody who can earn enough money. We can hire a nanny. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Who can also earn enough money. We can take enough time off to right. like be with our children. That's when you bring in the second husband right there. You can all yeah, live that's, together. So that's where <laughs> husband number two comes in. Um, and then we have the third phase. If, we're, if we get through that, right? Doing, you know, that's the test. If somehow, you know, husband number one can be husband then, number right. two, which is unlikely. Yeah. But if that, from our experience, but if that should happen by some, you know, miracle. Right. Now we have the third stage in marriage. Your children leave. You look at each other. You've been together for. You, you know, didn't still like each other at that point. Do you still like each other? Right. Now you really attracted to each other yeah. after like. You know, do you even know each other looks like anymore? Do you like? Do you, do you? You know, the hair is starting like yeah, it's all different out. Like you don't totally. resemble husband or wife number one like even remotely. Exactly like, right. You. So so it's not a surprise that gray divorces are just yeah. Cyber so setting is just like yeah off to the races. What did you learn about relationships mm. from your divorce? Now that we're creating this new this new way of being in right. you know, web leases, let's say. Yeah. What would you what would you take into your next relationship? The life lessons that you learned? I think it's hard because I think it grows as I grow. What I would take. I think there's nothing trust, loyalty, respect. Those are the yeah. three you things. Have you have to have those. And if you don't have those, then you have nothing. Game over. I think for me where I am right now is Obviously, I'm a mom of three kids, and they are going to be, in almost every way, my priority. Right. Right. And I'm still going to have to prioritize my relationship, but it's a little bit different. And what I mean by that is if we're going to Cabo and my kid wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning and has 103 fever or is vomiting or whatever it may be, we're not going to Cabo. Yeah. And you need to be okay with that. Right. Right. And if you can't understand that, then I think that's um, that's a deal breaker for me at this point. Yeah. You know, I think that's... And I, that means a change. Eventually, my kids are going to be older, and I won't even have to worry about that factor. But now, that's where I'm at. Right. So, if you can't understand that, like, I'm not necessarily going to be able to be kidless every Friday or Saturday night, then, and that's a problem for you, and you don't want to be a part of that, then it's game over for me. That makes sense. And I, I kind of tiptoed around this, but mm-hmm. now I'm just going to ask you straight yeah. out. So, would you get married again? I mean, I want to say no, right? Definitely not out of prenup. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess third time could be the charm. I I can leave the state of California out of it and make my own commitment. And I think I'd be comfortable with that at this point. But never say never, right? I'm still yeah. like a hopeless romantic in a lot of ways. I believe that my person is out there and that I'm not going to be alone forever. Um, and so maybe that sounds naive for a divorce, divorce attorney. But, you know, that's that's how I fall on this. So... I'm going to have something. I love that. I don't know what it looks like yet, but there's going to be something there. Yes. I see that for you too. Yeah. And what would you do or what advice would you give to women that are contemplating divorce or Mm -hmm. going through divorce with children? I think, I mean, there's so many things I could suggest. I think first is you're not alone. You're not the first person to do this. A lot of people, I think you feel like this is it. I'm all alone. No one's ever, you know, gone through this before, but you're not. Uh, plenty of people come out. There are light at the end of the tunnel, which is part of why I love doing what we do, you know, is helping them find that light and guiding them there. I think I would tell them not to be afraid. Oh, I love that. You know, I think fear holds us back from yeah. doing what we know is right for us. Um, and so 
I think that would be the next thing. And I think lastly, I think perspective is everything. Yeah. And I, I think you feel, I felt this way when I was going through my second divorce, like I failed twice. I now have these three kids and none of them have, you know, dads living with them. And I don't, I'm not married anymore. I failed these marriages is what it felt like. And I was talking to a friend having like my mental breakdown at the time. I'll never forget. She said to me, you need to change your perspective. She's like, there are plenty of women out there who have been single forever, have never had kids and have never found someone who wants to spend their life with them. And you have now done this twice. You have found two people who want to spend their lives with you and have children with you. She's like, so you need to change that perspective. And don't think of it as a failure, but you've won multiple times. Oh, I love that. And I actually that changed my entire life in that moment because it did show that perspective is everything. And sometimes they're both true. I felt like I failed, but I also, what she said was also true. And so, you know, if you just shift your mindset to the other one, it can really change your whole day and how you look at your divorce. And I think you're kind of a trailblazer. I don't think you failed at all. I think that, Thank you. you know, this conversation that we're having is so important because, again, I think marriage is is broken. Yes. You know, and, and my experience has been that if we're growing and evolving, which, you know, we hope to be. Yes, all the time. You know, the odds that the the partner that we're with, you know, maybe we will grow and be synced, synced up. Right. That's what we all want. Of course. I mean, when we get married, we just assume, the problem is we assume that will happen. Right. But things know. work. That's right. And so, you know, maybe you outgrew your your partners. That was yeah. my experience. And there's there should be no shame. No, and there is, unfortunately. There, there is. You know, I talk about divorce should not be a dirty word. Yeah. But really the women that, that have the courage to step out of, um, relationships that are not positive, mm -hmm. I think do not only themselves a favor, but their children. Um, for sure. reasons that we've talked about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's things like broken home or damaged children that really keep that stigma alive. And they're not broken or damaged. Sometimes they're even healthier than a lot of other families who are together and going through their own stuff, but in the same home. Well, thank you for coming on. Today. Yeah, I lost it. Was fun. Thank I you so much is... for having me. This was great. What you had to share is going to be so thank helpful you. to a lot of women who, in hearing your words, will realize that the light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train. No, it <laughs> definitely not. It exists and it's a positive. I love that, though. <laughs> Just to clarify, not a train. It's a good light. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me.